0: Hello and welcome to another um, special, Well if we keep doing them, they're not going to be special, are they, Ed? Not really. Um, uh, bonus episode of uh, the podcast. Uh, we thought we'd throw one in um, just to talk about some developments that have been happening this week in the world of film. Um, and yeah, to kind of put this in perspective, uh, Britain is currently gripped with Olympic fever um, and the whole shebang uh, kicked off with um, a very special uh, opening ceremony last Friday. Did you see it, Ed?
1: Yes, I didn't see it live because uh, I was out at a friend's uh, club night in Sheffield. I was at a wedding, so ah, I didn't see it live so we, both, we both got good reasons for not being there. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, as such, I didn't get to see it. I watched it the next day on the iPlayer, which meant I could skip through some of the bits that perhaps weren't so uh, entertaining. Like but, all of the
0: athletes coming out.
1: Yeah. I mean, you can see why they they have to leave that in, because... Mm-hmm it's all it's a,
0: about the athletes at the end of the day isn't it
1: yeah and it's kind of a big moment for them getting to walk out into a stadium in front of the world mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. at the same time it takes up a while doesn't it
0: it does it's quite boring um it's with well, the reason we're talking about this we wouldn't ordinarily talk about the opening ceremony of a sporting event uh is that it was uh artistically directed or directed i'm not sure it, it, what his official title is by uh, danny boyle um erstwhile director of cracker did you do cracker like peak practice, I think maybe Taggart. Taggart, uh, maybe moving on. Did he did some small films um, mm. such as uh, Train Spotting, yes, um, Shallow Grave, The Beach, A Life Less Ordinary. Those two never get brought up anymore, do they? Not really. <laughs> um, but now he is a uh, Oscar winner, winner. Um, and uh, yeah, one of the I don't know big directors
1: working today. I guess I say he's he's pretty foremost.
0: Yeah, so he's done alright for himself, shall we say, yeah. for a for a lad from Salford or wherever he's from. Um and yeah, he directed the ceremony and it was well, I thought the ceremony was pretty breathtaking if I'm perfectly honest. There were bits of it which were kind of jaw-droppingly amazing. Um the bit that springs to mind is when uh they kind of set the bucolic uh shire as it were. <laughs> um and then um uh Branagh turns up dressed as Abraham Lincoln <laughs> and ruins everything with towers and that. Um, it is very Lord of the rings wasn't it, when it felt that kind of uh, Saruman scouring the Shire business. Yeah. But um, Although it, I think
1: it was meant to be slightly more positive than that because it was about the Industrial it Revolution. It did celebrate and, the Industrial Revolution. But also acknowledged that it was a bit terrifying.
0: It was quite terrifying. Um, but yeah, there was it, I, what that bit proved to me was that um, there's no substitute in anything for uh reality if that was done if we watched the same thing done with cgi it would never be as impressive as they wouldn't it wouldn't, uh, it wouldn't erected be, uh, six 200 foot towers out of the floor or whatever
1: yeah it wouldn't be that or, or like the bit where the uh hundred foot voldemort kind of leered over the entire stadium wouldn't be as cool if it was a uh if it was a cgi voldemort the fact that it's a thing that they're actually having to manipulate and kind of get it to move more something that appears naturally mm, and it was um and gets assaulted by poppinses
0: yeah that is has solved that age-old argument who would win <laughs> <laughs> in a fight between mary poppins and voldemort um we now have a definitive answer
1: that reminded me of arrested development more than anything else. oh yeah look
0: out for the poppins <laughs> um yeah um it was quite uh important i think um the ceremony because i mean i work in the arts industry and uh, obviously that suffered uh, the two things that have suffered so much from the cuts have been the NHS and the arts. And arts and the NHS were very much at the forefront of the ceremony. And I know a lot of people who work in the field I do, um, you know, have been having to uh, struggle with funding applications because the Olympics taking up so much money. But so to see art so wonderfully represented yes. and celebrated at the Olympics was uh, a very nice thing to Yes. Uphold.
1: And in all of its forms, it was very pop culture heavy. There was uh, I loved uh even though it went on for quite a long time, I love the whole thing about the moving through the digital age, mm-hmm. where they had uh, you know they had going underground by the Jam playing you know representing the tube, which it's the sort of thing that could uh, could be a little cheesy, mm-hmm. but they kind of pulled it off. And also there was that nice subversive air because you know Danny Boyle, Danny Boyle's always known how to use music effectively in mm-hmm. all of his all of his work, and um, you knew that including going underground and including the whole thing about don't uh, society wants what society gets and I don't get what this society wants, mm-hmm. you know, there's kind of... <laughs> there was, uh, or playing God Save the Queen, he wasn't doing it just because those are famous songs. He, there was kind of a point to it and something vaguely subversive about it. Um, but, um, yeah, go on. I love the fact that they were, you know, they were showing british films on the side of that sort of model house so they had uh, a matter of life and death and yep. gregory's girl you know these sort of uh great british works of art that were being celebrated but also were being used to tell that sort of quite nice little love story that they were unfolding even though again that that segment went on for a really long time
0: it did yeah i mean the daily mail liked it um, <laughs> that bit um, uh, and that
1: Tory MP really liked
0: it. Yeah, yeah. There was um, quite a brouhaha mm. um, with um, uh, someone in the Daily Mail saying it was inconceivable that an educated white woman would be living with a black man in a middle-class home. Um, it was, uh, that was. Did you read that piece? It was truly reprehensible, wasn't it? Um,
1: I saw it uh, batted around and read sort of like snippets of it, but I, I couldn't bring myself to read the whole thing. It was
0: much worse in. In in, in you know, the whole, as it were. Um, uh, yeah, uh, musically, um, like you say, he knows how to use music in his films. And one of his most famous examples of music in his films is the Underworld Born Slippy. And they, I believe, did a lot of the music for the yes, ceremony. Yes, they
1: were the composers for it. And they did a stellar job. They did? Um as did uh, the Arctic Monkeys, who I thought did a very good job when they came on. And Didn't expect them to turn up. No, that was so no, I that really was wasn't a expecting rise. them. Um, Sheffield's own.
0: And especially uh, Matt Helders, the drummer, wearing a uh, preposterous shell suit, which was lovely. <laughs> and um, Alex Turner's pomp is quite, uh, yeah. quite something to behold. Uh, and then um, the, I, there's one thing about the ceremony that I really disliked, which was uh, Paul McCartney's appearance. And I disliked it because I think when... They announced Danny Boyle as doing the ceremony. They were like, "Well, they, they're going to have to wheel out a Beatle to sing," mm. and obviously the the uh, options are quite narrow now because no, yeah. no one wants to hear Thomas the Tank Engine at or, the uh, uh, ceremony. Your blues, oh. yeah, <laughs> right. Um, but the I, I think it just felt a really obvious thing to happen at the end of the ceremony. Yeah, McCartney to sing Hey
1: of, Yeah, the most obvious of sing along songs. Yeah. Although, uh, if you are going to have a song that you know people want to do a big sing along to, there is few that people there's few that people don't know as well as uh, what about
0: ages? chumba chumba it's <laughs> tub dumping by chumba
1: <laughs> that one would actually be pretty good and it,
0: it sums up the olympic spirit quite well I, I get knocked down but i get up again you know it certainly sums up judo it certainly does um which i don't really get it's the one olympic sport i don't really understand it just seems to be a lot of i can't it all looks like they're fighting yeah but they're just really trying to grab each other's pajamas and
1: yeah i'm not entirely sure what the point scoring is for judo no. maybe you should watch it more before passing judgment yeah. uh the other thing that i really liked again with the that that whole digital um revolution thing what i really uh liked about it is the the fact that it had it went on for a, for quite a while but uh the fact that it culminated with the house collapsing and it was uh tim Lee mm. um and you know the inventor of the internet being celebrated for allowing so much of the modern world to exist and then, uh, showing on, and then, uh, in lights having, you know, uh, this is for everyone, which is what he said about right. the internet. But I thought that that's such a, uh, a wonderful sentiment, which also, uh, carried over brilliantly to the ceremony as well. And the Olympic ideal as a whole, mm. uh, I found that to be, uh. To be quite, to be quite uh, moving, really.
0: Yeah, I think I would have gone for the message. We invented the internet. Suck it! <laughs> I think I would have gone for that just to rub other people's faces mm-hmm. in it. Um, the one, another bit that I didn't, I wasn't quite digging, um, was when Mr Bean turned up. Yeah, the initial appearance was quite funny, but then when it went to the bit where they recreated Chariots of Fire, I and mean, yeah. was uh, that that dragged on a little bit. The joke uh, got old quite quickly. Yeah, I
1: think yeah, with with the whole uh, Mr Bean appearance, that it was great. Because he was actually there and it was a bit of physical performance on mm. a massive stage. And uh, and Rowan Atkinson completely didn't seem phased by no, it. No. <laughs> he was the consummate professional and and did that uh, very well. But uh, yeah, when it went to just chariots of fire, it kind of wasn't as good as seeing him, you know, pressing the button with the umbrella and uh, all of that, which I thought worked much better.
0: Um it was a good cameo. Um, but speaking of cameos, um, you would have thought, well, they would have got together and thought, well, who can, who can we get in this? We can maybe, I don't know, we could probably get some people off the telly, maybe the odd film star. But no, they got the fucking queen to do <laughs>
1: to be to a, to a to do a comic relief style skit with, with, James, with Bond. James
0: Bond or Daniel Craig as yeah. he's uh, now known. Um, I'm I just wonder how they broached that with her. Uh, I mean, does she have an agent you go to? Yeah. I mean, I mean, what was how? What
1: I know, I was, was very,
0: very shocked when that happened. I
1: was as well, especially because uh, it's it's a very clever bit of uh, of staging as well on their part, because obviously they show it from behind, mm. so you you assume it's going to be someone playing the queen. Like maybe they've got Helen Mirren in, you know, to yeah. to play her again, <laughs> and then she turns around and it's actually the queen. It was it kind. Is.
0: Actually, the fucking queen. After. Yeah,
1: yeah. Who uh, didn't uh, didn't mess up a line? You know, no, nope. she did a good job. Although I don't know how many takes you can actually ask the sovereign to do, really.
0: Yeah, because Danny Boyle actually directed that bit, didn't he? And yeah, uh, yeah faster, more intense. Yeah, I don't <laughs>
1: think you can uh, spend too much time just kind of workshopping it, and yeah. uh you know, getting angry. Ken Loach style, giving <laughs> get, her giving her the script pages one day at a time,
0: working on that character for months beforehand. But um, yeah, and then
1: she parachuted
0: into the stadium.
1: Yeah, and that was the thing I liked as well. The whole tone of it was surprisingly goofy. It was quite goofy. I liked it. But yeah, again, in a very
0: British way, in a kind of self-deprecating way. Yeah,
1: and it was much nicer than you know if it had been all pomp. Yeah, like you know, there was a sense of ridic- of the ridiculous to it, but handled in a way that was intended to be funny like that that bit with the queen is meant to be mm. like but this massive gag
0: when they got serious with the the nine the nine eleven the seven seven tribute yes um that Which was, quite was cut
1: from the footage in america bastards uh in order to have an interview with michael phelps i believe
0: yeah i'd probably rather hear from him that, <laughs> that pothead um then yeah that that tribute was very moving, moving and yeah. very nice and they did it with a, to abide with me um but yeah it was uh it was quite the ceremony, and it was very cinematic as a, as an event, wasn't it? It was, and it was quite because it was Frank Cottrell Boyce who I think has uh, worked with Danny Boyle well before on the film Millions. I yes, um, he it? wrote the. You uh, he helped write the ceremony, didn't? He? Oh, yeah. okay.
1: I knew. Yeah, I knew he was involved in some capacity. He but was, uh, some good.
0: some of it was just playing crackers, <laughs> uh, with the fairy ninjas being chased off by the. By Mary Poppins and the yeah. lots of kids, and the big
1: NHS dance routine with real nurses.
0: Yeah, yeah. Which also the Daily Mail loved because <laughs> the NHS killed people. Apparently, yeah. according to that. Um, but yeah, we touched on um, Bond there. Um, it's also been a week that the a Bond trailer has hit. It's dropped, it's as dropped. it were. Um, uh, have you seen it?
1: I have. Yes, the international trailer for oh, Skyfall. What, what
0: was it before? Just a teaser.
1: Yeah, before there was like a trailer that was uh, was I either just just playing for British cinemas, because obviously it's coming out here earlier than it is the rest of the world.
0: How much earlier?
1: A month or so, I think we're getting it October, rest of the world's getting it November. Oh, wow. Because it's around about, or maybe September, it's around about the London Film Festival. Right, okay. Um, Spoil. And um, it was um, pretty much all new material in this new... Thing. Like the, that that was very much kind of a sense of what it's going to look like and uh, a little bit of dialogue whereas I felt that the international trailer that was released um, kind of offers a lot more plot like the original trailer didn't offer anything about the idea of Bond being presumed dead for a long time and mm-hmm. coming back there was no Javier Bardem in it
0: uh, who is sporting a Max Zorin style <laughs> haircut uh, anyone not familiar with Max Zorin he yeah. is one of the worst uh, Bond villains in one of the worst Bond films, uh, which there are quite a lot of bad Bond films. Yeah. And View to a Kill is, is right up there. But uh, he looks. Yeah. Uh, it seems very odd to cast a Spanish actor and then try and make him
1: more. Caucasian? Yeah, <laughs> Caucasian, yeah. <laughs> so it seems quite odd. But he does seem quite menacing in it. He seems menacing in everything. Well, that's true. Mm. It's kind of hard, like I was watching Vicky Cristina Barcelona the other day and I was waiting for him to just flat out murder uh, Rebecca Hall.
0: That would have been cool
1: which it would have improved the film. No, yeah. I like I like Rebecca Hall. But you know that that film needed a murder.
0: Yeah. Um um and yeah, it seems to be who's
1: directing Sam Mendes. Did he direct the last one? No, the last one was Mark Forster who directed um Monsters Ball and Finding ah, Neverland. That guy. Uh yes. Um and straight away from this one, I mean what little we see, it seems that uh sam mendes has a slightly better hand on the action because right. that was a big problem like casino royale was directed by martin campbell who directed um golden eye the zorro films of Banderas. vertical limit did, did he do he, vertical um, limit as well
0: he might have done I, I if he didn't i'm really sorry for suggesting he did
1: he also directed uh three men and adina the best episode of homicide life on the street uh I'll oh. drop that little fact in there friends um he, uh he's kind of a very workman-like director, you know, I don't think he's someone with a very specific style, but the thing he did well with Casino Royale was the action. The action in Casino Royale is very clean, very well-staged, and uh, was very exhilarating. The action in uh, Quantum of Solace was confusing, and the film was kind of a mess and dreadful, but the action, you know, it, it didn't have the redeeming factor of, like, entertaining and engaging action right um because mark Forster's not an action director he's someone who comes from sort of character dramas and things like that and i think that might be i'm just speculating here but that may also be the reason why the adaptation of world war Z is not going terribly well Um, um
0: but if you if you if you know they wanted to move away from having someone who wasn't a good action director picking sam mendes
1: well mendes has actually got some decent action on his back it on his uh, resume because you know a the bit where some... in
0: American Beauty where he's wanking in the shower yeah that's that a bit, bit of a lot of action <laughs> but no
1: like Road to Perdition's got some very very well staged gunfights yeah Jarhead's got a lot of big action set pieces in it obviously they're not the main point of those films but he's someone who has a, a, a better grasp of how to depict action on screen right than I think Mark Forster had and that comes through in the trailer Um and it also seems as if he's got a sort of a a decent decent-ish script that he's working from now there's some good lines in there uh, I also liked the introduction of Ben Whishaw as young Q
0: yep everyone loves Ben Whishaw um, well I certainly do I mean he's great and um, uh, was I was very I, good I, in Richard
1: II which was on oh, uh, the Hollow Crown yes. stuff.
0: I didn't see um, I didn't know he was playing or involved in Bond, so it was a, when it when when I watched mm. the trailer, it was an actual
1: surprise. I think I'd I'd heard ages ago, but that was the, but then suddenly you seen him show up, it's like oh yeah, he is he is in this, and uh, very uh, charming he seems to be as well. Um, I read
0: on Twitter the other day
1: a great theory about Bond because mm. I don't really like Bond.
0: Um, I haven't seen any since uh, the one with Robert Carlyle in, which was appalling. Uh,
1: the world is not enough. E- yeah, is that the one? Yeah. Um, the one I, where they um there's a nuclear submarine and i don't know what was happening in that. <laughs> yeah um, but it's that's carla
0: um i read a really good theory which makes me kind of it makes me think differently about bond films and the theory goes that james bond is just a code name mm. for operatives with a certain skill set yes. shall we say and that works much nicer than just you know changing the actor
1: yes i think that if if i don't spend a huge amount of time trying to piece together the various bond mythologies but it certainly does work nicely as an overarching thing than yeah like like when they recast daniel craig there's that kind of cognitive dissonance of being like but you've still kept judy dench and she's older than she was when she'd apparently known uh James Bond for 20 years mm. yeah you know, it's, kind of, it's it's much it's a much cleaner way of kind of wrapping it all up by saying that bond isn't one man it's just a term for in the same way 007 is yeah a term for an agent
0: yeah um so that was the bond trailer speaking of trailers we've had a well an extended trailer it was uh, like 6, six minutes. minutes long um for the kind of i want to say long anticipated but it's kind of snuck up on people without it really you know, people talking about it while it was in production, Um, the Cloud Atlas adaptation um, directed by the Wachowski siblings and Tom Tyqua? Yes. Um, Is that how you say his name? I always thought it was Twyka, but then... No,
1: yeah, I thought it was Twyka, but it's, T-Y-W rather than T-W-Y
0: there you go that was necessary information we all needed <laughs> um, but uh, we saw it was quite a special trailer um, or short segment of the film um, <laughs> I any... don't think it's a short segment no. <laughs> I get the sense that film's going to be it's going to be pretty long something anyone who's not familiar Cloud Atlas is a book um, and that's about all we have to say <laughs> <about> <laughs> that. it's a book which is six books in one book and they're all connected but they're yeah and they're kind of mystically connected through time and it starts mm. in the in the past in the kind of 17th century 18th century and then ends in the very way far, future. far in the future in the post-apocalypse yeah. and they've, they've done a, a film of it and it looks you've got to say from the six minutes we saw it looks pretty goddamn impressive yeah but you've still got to think how the fuck are they going to make a film out of that
1: yeah i mean like yeah as you say the the best way to describe the structure of the book is it's kind of like a pyramid because mm-hmm. Each one's kind of like a step up, and but you only get half a story, then half another story, half another story, until you get to the far-flung future bit, and then you kind of go down the other side of the pyramid and find out how each of the stories end. Yeah. Um, I can't imagine that they'll take that structure for a film, because that would be an awful, awful <laughs> way to watch a film. Yeah. To sit there and watch essentially six films, and to watch the first half of them. <laughs> wow.
0: Then, one after the other and they'll have to do each one because it's about three hours long the film so yeah it'll have to be 20 or 30 minutes per segment yeah
1: so i imagine they must leap between them all um with the few connecting things which is that characters have tattoos and they have similar themes weaving throughout so then i imagine they've probably taken moments in the book to kind of leap between the different timelines or the different levels of story Mm. um i'm I think it's going to be a car crash <laughs> of a film. Um, Is that your official prediction? Yes, and I did predict that John Carter wouldn't make, make any money. So, so you're one for one this year. I've got I've got past form in this. Uh, <laughs> in <laughs> You've this got area. game, Ed. I have got game, yeah. but um, I think you know it. It looks like the sort of film that's just so madly ambitious that it's not going to be boring. No, uh, and the Wachowski brothers. You know, uh, did you ever see Speed Racer? Their uh, Speed Racer. Oh, adaptation? I didn't know that's kind of in the same vein it's not a terribly good film but it is visually astonishing and uh, as a kind of pop work of pop art it's kind of interesting uh and it's not it's never boring it's just not very good as a as a kids film because it's lots to do with race fixing and you know the same thing mm. that the same problem with the star wars prequels is their films for kids that are about trade embargoes yeah it's it's a film four kids, which is about race fixing and international drag racing. Um so I think but it's not boring because visually it's so kind of dynamic. And I that's the same sort of feeling. And Tom Ty- Tyke was a very visually uh arresting uh director as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of his films are nuts but, you know, fun to watch. Um so that's kind of the vibe I had based mainly on the source material, which I think is too ungainly, too. It's it's got get a structure th- that can't work in cinema, and the story is too ungainly to do effectively. Yeah, the, the
0: the book gets tired quite quickly, doesn't it? Mm. When yeah, I remember when I read it, you get maybe you read the first half of the first story, it's okay. Second one, oh, this is alright. Third one, ah, oh, and then fourth one, you're oh, like, okay, when's this gonna? And then fifth one, and then sixth, one, oh, all right, I'm getting tired of this. And then oh, the end, then oh, I stop caring. Yeah, right. I mean that's generally. Uh, how it works it is very unwieldy.
1: Especially because because it delays the ending of each of those stories. You kind of forget some of the details or you are anticipating finding out how those stories end. But when they do, you, they're kind of disappointing in a lot of ways. Yeah, they never because quite it's live delayed. up to it. It's kind of, you've, you've delayed the gratification of seeing how the story ends.
0: And each one leaves you on a cliffhanger as well, doesn't yeah. it? Which is manipulative, I guess. Yeah,
1: and starts with a character in the next story not being able to like the the first story is a diary someone's diary which is being read by someone in the next story yeah. and they're like I can't find the other half of this diary so yeah. kind of
0: isn't Ben Whishaw I mean it's a star studied cast but isn't Ben Whishaw in that yes. and Halle Berry and Tom the, Hanks
1: Yeah he's in the Jim Broadbent I I'm, I think there might be they're
0: crossing over aren't they roles
1: Yeah because Tom Hanks is in the 70s bit and the far flung future bit Yeah and uh,
0: Jim Broadbent is in the composer bit and the
1: old old publisher. Yes.
0: And uh, a guy I know, a uh, guy, Alastair Petrie, who you'll see in uh, Ron Howard's Rush next year. Oh, right. Um, he is the man who's thrown off the roof in the trailer. Nice. Um, as I found out, I knew he was in it, but yeah. then I, I tweeted him and asked him if he was in it <laughs> and he said, oh, yeah, I get thrown off the roof. Nice. Oh, yeah, nice one. Um, but yeah,
1: it, it, I mean, when's it out? I don't know. Uh, it's premiering or has it played any, i don't think it's played anywhere yet has it It
0: did they did a cut of it in
1: can right. and it was like
0: a five-hour cut or something stupid
1: the i think what will probably be the final version is going to play at the toronto international film festival in a few months right and i think it's due out in time for the christmas uh slash award season right so it could thing. be
0: next year or is it definitely this year i
1: think it it might be late this year, early next year, right? Okay. Unless yeah. uh, it goes disastrously and they do a Southland Tales and just kind of take it away and try and recut it.
0: Yeah, I mean the th- the good thing about it, I suppose, is that early word's been quite positive as opposed to it being a kind of a behemoth they can't mm. do anything with. Yeah. Um. So yeah, we'll have to see how that one turns out. Speaking of um, end of the year, um, our last bit of uh, news from this week is the. The big announcement that um, uh, Peter Jackson is uh, stretching The Hobbit from two films to three films, an announcement that leaves me scratching my head slightly. I have to mm.
1: say, yeah, I'm much the same. Um, the news they kind of teased it a few days beforehand because there was there rumours had spread that they were in like final negotiations with the studio to extend it, uh, and that they needed. I think they would. Trying to make sure they could get everyone on board to come and do additional shooting, which mm-hmm. is going to be required. Um, but uh, when that kind, those rumours kind of broke, I, the first thing I said about it to anyone was, "Well, the Hobbits barely enough for two films, let alone three films."
0: Yeah, it does seem baffling that you know they did the Lord of the Rings, which is. Uh, over a thousand pages as a novel and, you know, it's, there's a lot of characters, there's a lot of backstory, there's, you know, an awful lot going mm. on in a kind of geopolitical way. Um, and they did that in three three-hour films and The Hobbit is a is a pretty tight 350-page romp. Mm. Um, it's, it doesn't have many um, tertiary characters, it doesn't go off in too many other directions like Lord of the Rings the book does. It's a fairly straightforward, got men on a mission you know go here get that there's a war at the end awesome there's a big dragon um and it's pretty tight as a story yeah. And that's what i was so excited about because i prefer well i the lord of the rings book bores me in mm. a lot of swathes but um the hobbit book is a real good kind of kids adventure book and i was really looking forward to a one film <laughs> and then it turned into two films and i'm like oh, okay and now it's
1: three films yeah I mean, you could kind of see... Well, they've talked in the past about the areas that they would expand. Like, in The Hobbit, Gandalf goes off for ages. And in subsequent material that Tolkien wrote, it's explained that he was off uh, involved in a battle against a dark force, which is uh, a weakened version of Sauron, who hasn't quite got the power yet to, to take over the world in the way that he does in The Lord of the Rings. So you could see that they could put that in there, and, you know, that's a bit more context. Uh, And apparently there's a lot of material in the appendices that they're going to try and use, because they haven't got, they haven't actually got the rights to everything that Tolkien wrote. They've got the rights to The Hobbit, and they have the rights to Lord of the Rings, and therefore the appendices, but not to lots of the other stuff. So they're quite, they are actually quite limited in terms of what they can draw upon to add, so I think they'll probably have to invent some stuff. But um, my my issue with it is, like, I love the Lord of the Rings films. I think they're, fan- they're fantastic, uh, blockbuster entertainment. I saw all of them in the cinema, watched the extended cuts countless times on DVD, and I really do love it. But what I like about them is that they, f- for how long they are, they are actually quite pared-down versions of a very long and difficult and fairly dull book, mm-hmm. uh, which are turned into these big adventure romps. Uh, and what seems to be happening here is the exact opposite. They've taken what what is a very slender tale and they're adding on. And a very
0: adaptable book. Yes. Whereas everyone thought Lord of the Rings was unadaptable.
1: Yeah. It's like this one. I can I could see this one being fairly easy to do. Mm. they seem to be layering on all of this other stuff. I mean there's also stuff um separate to this where they're talking about filming it in 48 frames per second to get better 3D and all this kind of experimentation, which I don't think will benefit the film uh, in any major way. Um, yeah, they just seem to, they seem to be doing a lot of stuff with it that is unnecessary. Uh, and it's kind of... As much as I do like what they did with Lord of the Rings and love the way that they treated Middle Earth... The more I hear about the Hobbit, the more I dread it, right? And the less my the more my enthusiasm for it wanes.
0: Well, the argument against the arguments in the reasons to be cheerful uh, camp um, say that you know it's Jackson, mm. um, he's he's no mug, that's um, true, and you know last time he was in charge of a trilogy involving Tolkien, he, he did a right job.
1: Yeah, he did okay.
0: Um, he yeah he he. he uh, blagged his way through that um so you know what do you kind of say to that suggestion that you know he's done it once he knows what he's doing he's not really a shell director is he? he's not really someone who needs the money or no. needs the the pull he can do whatever he wants uh
1: i think it, it's the the whole thing about uh, having enough rope to hang yourself with you know with the lord of the rings i think they were beset by issues you know they it took them a long time to get it off the ground it was a a, a passion project um and the you know the, the financing fell through a few and, times. and remember
0: they this is kind of an interesting balance they 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 were originally asked to make Lord of the Rings as two films yes and that got so they
1: they yeah the funding for that fell through so Miramax no um, new line stepped in and and, and and rescued it and allowed them to do it as three films uh so i think they were and, and he was not—he was not new, but he was relatively untested on something of that scale. Mm, but they still so gave I,
0: him Final Cut, which is impressive. Which is very impressive.
1: Um, so I think he was—he was hungrier. I think he was uh, really uh, worried about how it would turn out, and so he was really invested in it. This time, he's coming from a place of success. Mm-hmm. So I think maybe the that lovely bones. <laughs> That uh, that that desire may not be as strong. That maybe it's more of a contractual thing. You know that he has to. He feels he has to do it. Maybe, um, and it seems like the, the the third film thing seems a bit money grubbing, really, rather than artistic. But that's mm. just that's obviously I'm that's just my impression. I don't know if there he really feels they need another three hours in which to tell the story. Um, but it just to me it just seems like the wrong move to make that's just me but you know it just it just feels uh like it's hu- it's going to end up hurting the final product and they're thinking about
0: they're talking about moving it forward for summer release which is a nod step because they well, like done... the
1: second part would be out next summer
0: no the third part would be out summer right. 2014 right which is odd, okay. considering they would have released all the others at christmas and all the other lord of the rings films at christmas yeah um but yeah I, I'm yeah. I'm kind of. Well, I, I was. You can't, you
1: can't judge it until you see the final thing.
0: But. No, you're right. I mean, but it just it just doesn't seem right. I mean, I I honestly thought they would be padding it out with two films. Yeah. Um, and I thought that two films was them. You know, this kind of trend that's continuing with, you know, Breaking Dawn Part Two and Harry the Potter final, Part Two. The final
1: Hunger Games book is going to be two. Two. Films. Yeah, it's
0: just stretching it out. I mean, they could do all of those things in one film. It's just. You know they've got an audience who will pay to see it and you know they'll they'll do it and milk it for all it's worth yeah um my friend did joke that uh he jackson's next film after this will be a seven film adaptation of a, a note that tolkien left for his <laughs> milkman which <laughs> which you know they are they are really getting to the bottom of the barrel aren't they i mean
1: yeah and also you know there's there's that whole sense that with uh like jackson's got the rights to a lot of other stuff that he's, mm. he's brought up over the years uh, i know he brought up the rights to a series of fantasy novels which take place in a world i can't remember the name of the novels but they take is place it the
0: dragons and the ships
1: yeah there was one with dragons and ships there's another one which was about uh flying cities and the way in which the cities like survive and feed their populace is by attacking and devouring smaller cities which is the sort of thing that I would love to see on screen because mm-hmm. it sounds like massive and ambitious, and you kind of think I'd rather see him tackle something new than get sort of dragged back to Middle Earth, which is what's happened. I mean, maybe obviously after they've done the Hobbit trilogy, there's not really anything else they can do with it, so uh, he'll probably he'll have to go on and do new things. But you know, I'd well, kind
0: they, of... they can do Lord of the Rings 3D. I think yeah. that that will be the next one when they'll do a 3D remix of those. Yeah. Um, yeah.
1: Oh, it's, been, it's been long enough. I'm sure they'll reboot it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, it's been 10
1: years since. 10 years is enough for Spider Man to get rebooted. I'm sure they could. Uh, it's more that uh, Lord of the Rings is past time <laughs> to yeah, get a Yeah,
0: 13, 11 years ago now, yeah. so, you know, they may as well. Um, but yeah, I, I, I kind of. When you were just saying about these other projects, they're all quite kind of big and grand in scope, and I think, why don't you just make a, a small film? And then I thought, well, The Lovely Bones was mm. uh, shit.
1: Yeah. And, and that, and also it deprived of us of what could have been a pretty good film if Lynn Ramsey had you never know, been able to do it.
0: Yeah. Um I would keep thinking about Lovely Bones. Ryan Gosling really did dodge a bullet there, didn't he? Yeah. <laughs> Which Mark Wahlberg gamefully took for him. <laughs> um but yeah. So yeah, that's um kind of it really for Mm. this uh, mini episode Uh, I guess there was nothing else to report this week well there was but we'll probably talk about it later these are the big ones yeah these are the big things Um, they're the only things that matter this week (laughs) Um, so yeah nice one thank you